Hello and welcome back to another episode of One Kick From Glory on a weekend which saw Dallow sliding off the pitch, trying to find his life, and Jesus saved the day. Arsenal won convincingly 3-1 at home against Manchester United. And we're going to be talking about that game and some of the result, recap some of the results from the past weekend's fixtures. It's just me and Craig here today on this week's episode. So we're going to jump right into the game at the Emirates, the match that ended the weekend, Arsenal versus Manchester United. I guess to start off with, Craig, what was your thoughts on the team selection going into the match? Well, I, picked, I think I picked the selection correctly. I said that on um, Gabriel from the start. I did say that Ben White was going to play right back. I think I got the team correctly. I got only, the only change I think that I didn't say, I didn't say Havertz was start. It's the only one that was wrong for my prediction. But all the rest of the players, I said, was going to start started the game. So it was a good game. It was often like obviously United scored first. Rashford scored uh, after the screamer as per usual at the Emirates against us. Um, we came back and we fought back quickly and got the goal back to make it one-one. And then after that second half, they they had a goal that was ruled off. Obviously, they had a penalty that was a penalty, and then they went up the other end and scored. And everyone thought they won the game in the eighty something minute. It was eighty-eight minute they scored. Then it was offside. Then we came off in the ninety. I think it was. 80, 89 or 90th minute we went up the other end and scored the goal Declan Rice scored and then after that their heads dropped and then after that got the counter they were chasing the they had the equaliser hit them on the counter attack and then um, Fabio Vieira played the ball to Jesus and he scored the goal so it was, a, it was a great result against one of our title rivals and one of our most hated enemies so it was a good result Yeah it was definitely a good result against them I mean, they are definitely one of the old enemies you know, Tottenham are always number one, have to be. And Man United are not far behind them. But I think for me, it was quite an interesting game. I managed to get into the match. I was there um, in the West Bank or the West End, um, watching watching up on up high. And it was just quite fascinating, just the kind of the mood pre-kickoff within the fan base. There was a lot of optimism, a lot of excitement. I mean, fans were singing on the way into the stadium. They were singing around the concourse. They were singing in the stands before we even started. And I think for me, just hearing North London Forever blaring out just before we kick off and all of us singing in, in chorus was just incredible. And I think we had a really great atmosphere. And then definitely for like the first 10, 15 minutes, it was quite like, um, I think you could, I mean, I, I know that a, lot of, a lot of pundits have called it quite an even game or said Man United did quite well in, in the first like 20 minutes or so. I mean, they had a lot of possession, but they weren't really going anywhere. It was mainly in their defensive third, it was with Onana, the centre-backs. The goal that they scored um, it was down to some good pressing from Arsenal, win the ball back off them, higher at the back. And Kids Kai Havertz, and he tried to play a pass infield to Erdegaard, got intercepted by Ericsson, who then sprung a superb pass through to Rashford. And, and for me, with that goal, I look at Saliba and White, and I'm just disappointed in both of them because, you know, Saliba's behind White, so White can engage Rashford a lot quicker, backs off quite a bit. But the issue for me is that you know what Rashford's going to do. He did the same thing last season against us, cutting in from the left. You know he's going to cut in onto his right foot and shoot. Why did they show him inside? I mean, all the fans around me were saying, show him outside, show him outside. He showed him in. And then Rashford did what I classify as a brilliant goal. You know, he cut across it with his right foot, that famous dipping technique, which he learned from Cristiano Ronaldo, and has made it his own. And, you know, Ramsdale could have and should have done better with, with the save because he got a hand to it, but he didn't really set himself properly for that. Maybe he was thinking about last season's game when Rashford went near post, so he kind of hedged his bets. But a good goal for them to start off with. Um, I guess for you, what was your thoughts on the defending from from those three players, from you know Ramsdale, Saliba, and White? I think White, White gave him too much respect. I think White should have, should have closed him down quicker. 
and then um Saliba would have been the cover in centre back last centre back. So if if it, if and they could have doubled off one. So if if he went past White and White closed it down and closed the angle from to shoot and put it onto his left foot, then you you have to either cross it in or you couldn't take the shot. But if it onto the stronger foot, then obviously it's on the score. Um, Saliba should have done better. Saliba's an experienced defender now, so sort of sort of known to push up a bit and try and close on that, narrow the angle, so make it hard for him to shoot. Ramsdale sort of saved the shot, to be honest. It was a, a shot, he got a hand to it. He could, if he had a stronger hand, then it tipped it around the post or hit the post and then he would have caught it. So, all these things are factor, yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely a thing I look at and, and hopefully now we learn from that going to the next set of games. I know that there's been a lot of talk from the fan base about Ramsdale and whether Raya is going to come in and replace him when we kick back off in, in, in the off-season national break. There's also talk about you know, whether they could split their minutes between them using the cup competitions or the um, you know home and away, You know whether Raya plays the away games and Ramsdale plays the home games. I guess for you, what do you think... Arteta should do about the goalkeeping situation going forward. Well, that's, that's that's a big issue because you can't really do the whole home and away thing because it's, it's going to unsettle both keepers and the defence is going to get unsettled. So if you have one keeper for the season and then every game they switch the keeper, then then then, then I don't know how mm. good um Davi, I don't know if Davi, how it good is English. So I don't know. It might be alright because he's been in England for a long time. But I mean, obviously you've got defenders and all that. The defenders haven't played with him before, so he's going to have to like, you know, what I mean, going to have to learn. Like learn a new goalkeeper behind the sticks and learn the way how Arsenal plays. So, but I heard, I did hear today that um, Arteta is considering dropping Ramsdale for the next game because David Red has been doing well in training. So he's thinking River to give Ramsdale a start in the next game. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think the other thing to remember is that you know our, Raya was our first choice goalkeeper at the time when we tried to sign a goalkeeper, you know, to replace Lennon. Mm. And in Raya was when we tried to get in the end, uh, Brentford wouldn't budge. And so we set, we not sensible, we moved on to Ramsdale instead. So in many ways, it's, it's a lot like Jorginho, the Jorginho signing in that Arteta won Jorginho for a long time and finally got him. Oh. Obviously, Jorginho is not first choice in our midfield, but we saw in the back end of last season. And even in this match, when the manager wants to kind of control a game, he'll turn to Jorginho yeah. as opposed to other options. So I think... There could be something there. I mean, for me, I think it's, it's an opportunity for Ramsdale to kind of push on. He's looked very shaky at the back of the ball at his feet this season compared to last season. I know some of that is the way we've changed how we're playing. We're playing a little bit differently in, in, us, in our approach. But he doesn't seem as assured in what he wants to do. He's hesitating a lot on the ball. And it was very noticeable against Manchester United from the stadium. There was times when there were little passes on. He had quite a few chip balls on to Saka, which didn't take first time. He had a couple of little dinks in towards sort of Havertz region, didn't really take either. So that's a concern. Um, but it's early days and hopefully he'll get that form out. I think going away to England for his next couple of weeks will help him. Just kind of be in a different environment, different players around him. Um, and also with a target of chasing out a number one shirt for the national team. So hopefully he can kick on there. One thing I do want to bring up though is VAR and the referee. Um, Declan Rice's post-match comments I thought was quite funny. He said that he thought uh, Michael, uh, Michael Oliver... Um, what is his name? The referee. What was his name? I can see his face. Warhead guy. Taylor, right? Anthony, Anthony Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. He thought Anthony Taylor had a really good game. And I don't know if Declan Rice was being tongue-in-cheek or if he was just trying to say something nice to help us in the long run. But from the stadium, it was just, he was all over the place. He did not have control of that game from minute one. I still don't understand for the life of me how Bukayo Saka got yellow carded after being fouled by Bruno Fernandes. Explain that one to me, Craig. I think he got fouled by Dallow. I don't know if it was Bruno Fernandes who fouled. I think it was Dallow who fouled him. And then he's followed through court. Um, 
um, Bruno Fernandes and they said that if the referee should have pulled up earlier, the referee pulled up earlier and Saka would not have fouled or say, allegedly fouled, studied um, Bruno Fernandes. I think it's the momentum of him getting fouled and he got frustrated. And I don't, I, I personally feel that it should have been, it, the other players should have, they should have pulled it out quicker and then, then Saka wouldn't have had to make that challenge. Or But but even so, if, if you're calling it for a foul, how can you book the action afterwards? Surely the minute you've said it's a foul, then anything after that foul is not is none of Because I mean. I've never yeah. ever seen a player... Like even when you know you hear the referee's whistle go and something happens after the whistle, they don't really get in trouble for it unless it's something Dude, really, really like serious or, or, punch or, kick or something. So I just thought yeah. it was, yeah, I just thought it was a bizarre decision. Even in the stadium, none of us understood it, and the general sentiment online from a lot of the Arsenal um, bloggers and podcasters and, and just general fans is that it's just a thing you don't see, and it was just a, a catalogue of decisions that was very bizarre. For, for me. What was your take on the, the penalty appeal um, that was overturned for the foul on Kai Havertz? Because I have a view from the stadium, but what was your view from watching it at home with all the replays? And I, thought it was, I thought Casemiro fouled him. I didn't think that um, Van Bissaka fouled him. I thought Casemiro need him and his need him and that kind of need him on the side and that's when mm-hmm. he fell over. I don't think Van Bissaka touched him because when you look at it, I think it's Havertz's leg clipped Van Bissaka, but I think Casemiro hit him on the, on the side and it made him fall onto the thing to get clipped. To already cause him to fall. Yeah, that's why I think he, yeah. that's why it looked like Van Bissaka touched him. I think Casemiro's one who touched him more than Van Bissaka did anything to him. I feel. Cause I think Van Bissaka's got long legs, isn't it? Yeah. So when you look at the way the angle, it looks like Van Bissaka clipped him. But when you look at another angle, mm. you can see that that um Casemiro either he need him or he, he kinda of put his body into him. So that's a penalty. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, the other thing is like when when you've got a player bearing down a goal, like we we've all played football, and like when I play as a, as a centre back, the one thing I don't want is someone running at me like that and running into that space. You know that kind of danger zone where you know if any contact from you, it could it could go the wrong way. So like, and Havertz doesn't change his run. He doesn't run into any of them. He doesn't move his leg. He runs in a straight line the way he's going. It's Wambazaka and Casemiro that converge towards him. So. The, the problem with VAR in the situation is that they've looked at the Wan-Bissaka part of the, the equation, they've not looked at Casemiro's part. And to be honest, like, I don't think that is a big enough mistake to call it, to say that it should be overturned. I think the fact that they went to VAR to me is 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 just scandalous because I've never seen a referee decision overturned or something like that. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have just for reasons. And I think their argument was the amount of contact wasn't sufficient. They can argue that. But for me to go to VAR and to say, referee, come back and recheck the monitor, you made a mistake. When we've seen other penalties this season, and even like this weekend with the Man City goal um, against uh, Fulham, when Akanji is clearly in the line of sight of Leno. In fact, the reason Leno doesn't dive fully is because Akanji is physically there Mm. and Ake gets his goal, and that's not given. Like, I, I just don't understand how there's so much inconsistencies and how they are not interpreting the game in a way that as players you would because mm. if you're playing football you know when Havertz makes that run in you stop you just you just kind of let him get past and hopefully someone else on the other side is there to stop him you don't run in like that so that was naivety from the main like defence but they got away with it so I think that was just an interesting one um, what, I want to flip forward to the second half and, and Garnacho's goal because I think that's two examples there of VR in action one against us one for us but also at the same time, you classify it as both of them as very clever defensive play. I mean, Casemiro and Van Bissaka got away with it on this occasion. Probably won't in the future. But Gabriel, what he did to play Garnacho offside, absolutely brilliant. Have you seen the replays of it and how he stepped he up? He did the Michael Jackson moonwalk thing. <laughs> <laughs> he did the Michael Jackson like that. I think. I, I, I went like that. I said, the lead. Yeah, the lead. 
Honestly, on, yeah. a lot of my United fans or some of my United friends were saying that, oh, that, that, that Ganacho was on side and Gabriel played him on side. And I'm like, I don't know, mate. I don't know. And another, if that was at Old Trafford, that would have been given to United as a goal. 100% would have given United as a goal. They would not have gone to VAR for that one. I'm telling you that for sure. So I think because we were at home, I think we had the advantage at home. I think the referee made two blunders in that game. So he had no choice not to give that goal. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that one was the right decision because I've watched the back cut a number of replays and what Gabriel does really well, which is something that Van- Virgil van Dijk does exceptionally well, mm. most people don't realise, yeah. is that he... Because if you look at Virgil, we always, we always jokingly say he defends with aura because he's always kind of like slightly backing off and like half turn when he's defending. Yeah. But in situations like this, the reason why he does that is he's looking across the line so he can kind of see where you are and where the ball player is so he can just step back or step up yeah. just as the ball's being played to play you off. So Gabriel, he, does, he literally looks, jumps towards the play and leans a little bit mm. just enough to take Garnacho out of the equation um, you know I think that was just exceptional good play and it just shows that even though there's been all this talk all season oh Gabriel's out of favour he might get sold what's going on you know it, clearly it was a tactical decision from the manager um, and you know he came back in and showed us all why he's one of our best defenders and, and I was really happy with his performance he did have a rough time against Rasmus Hojelin yeah, and did. Um, he did. What did you think of the debut for Baby Harland, as we call him? Exceptional debut, man. He roughed up. He roughed up Gabriel. Gabriel didn't want to go into battle with him. Gabriel had to just kind of have to hold it down. If he came on a little bit earlier, like mm-hmm. half time or something, you never know. But I was happy that Gabriel was able to handle him. He gave some physical battle. For someone so tall, I don't know if he was that so physical. I thought he'd be, he'd get bullied in the Premier League, but obviously he played in Italy, so Italy is a physical league as well, so. He's used to getting defenders kicking them in the back and kicking them and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, and as, and as a striker, I think playing in Italy teaches you a lot because it's a very a country that prides itself on great defence. And if as a striker you can do well and get goals over there, you, you will be able to take that and translate it. Well, we say that. We've seen some strikers who haven't come over from Italy and translate to the Premier League. But I think with Hodgelin, he was about boy Man United fan. He's got his dream move. He would look at what Haaland did last season and would feel like, OK, I might not get as many goals as him, but I can make myself... A presence be felt in the Premier League and I think as a Man United fans out there watching that performance I think you should be very excited because for me finally Marshall FC can be retired because that kid was just it just doesn't do anything I, I just don't get the hype and you now have a striker that should be able to get you between 1 to 15 I think this season I think the aim will be yeah but I say this season maybe like 10 to 15 this year just to get settled maybe even maybe just like 10 Premier League goals to get him started and then he can build on that for next season but we'll see how it goes um, I want to touch on the goal that actually won the game before the goal that sent Dallow's shop. But um, Declan Jollofrice, I have to say, like a West Ham fan did say this online that with Declan Rice, you have to watch what he does off the ball to really appreciate what he does when he when, as a player. And for me, looking at him in the stadium, like I'm fully convinced that he will be Arsenal's next captain. Mm definitely next in line to wear the armband after Erdegaard at some point in the near future. But for me, like, he is just so good. So good in what he does. Like, the, the only unfortunate thing was for the goals that we conceded on both occasions, he was, or the one occasion rather, he wasn't where he needed to be. Like, even actually, same for the Garnacho one, he pressed up trying to win the ball, it got passed past, he got picked past him. And then for the for the first goal, he was, you know, pressing in mid, up in midfield, so he wasn't in his normal spot. But... Everything else from his, from which is exceptional. Like, what was your take on his winning goal? That's why you pay 105 million for for moments like that. You, you go for 
you might have, you've heard that money from players to make impact, and they made a massive impact, like not a game changing impact, game winning impact. Because you know, what I mean, a couple of seasons ago, like we'd uh, we'd have crumbled in that game after they went that offside goal with this point to a shot, and you know, that would do another counter attack and they go and score the other end, and you're like, oh, not again. But I like, I like it. He, he said after the game that. He had to, in the when he was younger, he would have passed the ball, but then he took responsibility as a man and went for goal. And I respect that. So he's a, he's a leader, as you said, a future Arsenal captain. So yeah, leader. Costs us a lot of money to get him, yeah, but it's yeah. worth it. It's worth every penny. It's proven it's worth every penny that we paid for him. So yeah, if he can score more goals, yeah, and like it go, that, it, then yeah. And it goes back to my point that I said, you know, in one of our pre in one of our podcasts that'll be coming out soon was that. When we signed him, to me anyway, it signalled the beginning or the end of Thomas Partey's time at Arsenal. Now, how long that might be, obviously he's out injured. He's, thankfully, it's not as bad as was initially feared. He's only going to be out for about six to eight weeks. So he's going to miss about four games. He'll be back after the next international, which is which is promising news. What is it? What, what injury is it? Green? For, I think it's just another one of those muscle, okay. muscle ones. But he, you know, he keeps getting them. And I think for me, it's like he didn't really get many injuries at Atletico Madrid. He also didn't play as much minutes at Atletico Madrid as he did at, Ar- as done at Arsenal. He used to, usually was used sparingly over there, even though he played a lot of games, didn't play a lot of minutes. And I just don't think physically he can really hack the, the amount of games that we want and the role we want him to play. And for me, once we signed Declan, I always felt like this is the guy that's going to finally meet, allow us to move on from Thomas Partey and try something different. Um, some people had different opinions, but... I always felt that like you don't spend that much money on someone to then play them in a position where, like you know, because couldn't we also bought Kai Havertz as well? I mean, if we hadn't signed Havertz, I would have said, okay, fair enough, yeah, he could replace Xhaka positionally, but no, he's clearly come in to upgrade on what Thomas Partey can do, and he has got a lot more in his locker. He hasn't started doing his diagonal passes, which he did at West Ham. He hasn't really started doing his dribbles like he used to do at West Ham either. So there's more to his game to come. There's more things he will learn. And he says himself, he's learning every single training, every single day, how to play like we play at Arsenal and the things for him. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. But let's let's talk about our, our three subs, the guys that came on and, and changed the game for me. Gabriel Jesus, Fabio Vieira, and of course, Atakira Tomiyasu. The impact is, is not as refers well. to them now. And Reese Nelson, number four. Let me not forget him. Our four fab sub, a fab four. Subs. What do you think about their performances, and how how happy does it make you feel that we now have a squad that is looking stronger beyond the first eleven? Well, me had a good. Tommy also had a good game. He came on for Ben White, right? He had a solid game coming on. Uh, no, Zinchenko. 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 He had a good game. Yeah. Obviously, he got sent off in the game before he played. He got sent off, but he, he looked solid coming on. Looked like he was hungry. Um. Who else did you see came on? Um. Jesus. 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 Jesus did a job. Scored the winning goal or the the killer goal. Um, Fabio Vieira had a great game coming on. Scored an assist again. Got an assist last week. Got an assist this week again. So he's looking. He's looking like he's ready to push Havers out of the first team. Uh, Reese Nelson got an assist as well. I think got an assist for one of the goals. I think I'm correct for. I think got an assist for one of the goals. No, he was involved in the in the the Jesus goals. He's the one who. Pokes the ball to Vieira, who plays the ball through to. Um, so he wasn't involved one of the goals. He came on, hadn't played since pre season, missed a lot of all the pre season because of an injury, and he came on and made a big impact. So, as you said, we've got a strong bench. And I think Jorginho came on as well, didn't he? Yeah, just to close the game out. Yeah. Uh, I think the bench is stronger than it was last season, to be honest with you. And that's a good thing because you need a strong bench in the 38 game season plus um, cup competitions and Champions League. So, you need a strong bench. So, 
strong 18, 20 months, 25 months squad. So, yeah. I can't wait to Smith Rowe to get some minutes as well. That's what I'm really waiting for, see where he gets some minutes, hopefully soon. Yeah, I think Smith Rowe will definitely get a game in that Carabao fixture coming up soon against Brentford. I think for me, it was really interesting when and the players all came on. It's just that, like, each individual player, what they brought to the team. Mm. Jesus, and I think Nketi had a good game. I think he was a really good game up front. He was unlucky earlier in the first half of a chance that fell, that well, could have fallen to him, but Havertz had a missed kick, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But I think again and again and again, every time I watch, Jesus, I watch um, Nketi up front, I just see something extra. This game, there was a long ball played across from, I think it might have been from Zinchenko. Anyway, it was played out from that side mm-hmm. across towards um, Nketi on the right wing. And the defender was pulling his shirt, pulling his shirt. I think it was, yeah, I think it was Dallow was pulling him back. And then Nketi just took the ball on his chest, brushed one off and then gave the ball. So I was just like, wow, Nketi got the strength too. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these little things he's adding to his game. We know, we know he's picked up the dribbling. We know he's getting better. He's back to goal. He just seems so much more. There's even one time he had the ball and he was doing a little run from the, on, on the left wing from like our left back position and carried it into midfield and won us the throw. And it's just just the fact that he took it on and ran and got past a couple of players and then you know got us up the pitch. It was like we were like hey, the whole the ball actually the ball went out of play for a main night throw, but the whole crowd were like just cheering and like hey Eddie hey Eddie because because it's like you saw something. And what I like of Inketu is that you know obviously he's got the England call up as well. And you mentioned this week that he's hungry to learn from Kane. He's going to be taking notes. He's got some questions he's going to ask him. And I love the fact that he's looking at the players around him and picking up key things. You also mentioned how much he learned from Omri in his time when he was under-16 coach and, and that, that season they had together. So I'm excited to see what Enkete can become. I guess for you, now I was talking about the other styles, but I'll get back on them in a second. But I guess for you, looking at Enkete as well, how happy are you that we have two strikers that are very different in many respects, but yet, one, you can, they complement each other because you can play them together, but two, there's a, a friendly competition building to see who deserves to start more games going forward. I think it's a good thing because obviously last season um, JC's got injured for a long for a long period of spell after the World Cup so and then um and then Enketia stepped up did score some crucial goals and then obviously he lost his place he got injured and lost his place to Jesus again so this season the same thing happened again Jesus got injured in pre-season and now um, Enketia stepped up and scored some crucial goals as well so I think with Enketia he just needs to keep on improving keep on learning, learn from Harry Kane, learn from all the top players at the club and learn from the England, or other international duty, learn from Kane, watch how he finishes, watch how he does his, his like preparation for matches and just learn from there, I would say. Yeah, I think that's important. Like You, you can always learn new things from the, the, the strikers around you and the fact that he's, he's shown how much he's picking up from them, I think that's really important. And like I was saying about the other subs, I think Jesus came off the bench and you know he just looked so sharp. You know, a couple of little dribbles, there was one moment he had like a couple of step-overs on the right wing and I was like, okay, Jesus is back. And there's one he dribbled to swallow him through players, you know, forcing them to back away. And there's something with Jesus and, and, and his finish for the goal to make it 3-1. If he can do that more and more and more, I think it will kind of end the debate as to what kind of a player he is. Because that moment, the whole stadium, our breaths were paused when he sent Dallow shop. <laughs> it couldn't be. Me, I lost it. I was running up the aisle and I was like, where am I going? I didn't even know where I was going. I was just running back and forth. And I'm like, I'm running onto steps. I'm running back. I'm like, where, where am I going? Like the people around me were dancing around, hugging. Mm. It was complete and utter limbs and pandemonium in, in the crowd. But what a moment to signal it off. And, and I think 
now, looking at that moment for Jesus, do you think that's now a big moment for him now to kick on this season in terms of his numbers of goals for us as a striker? 100%. I think he has to kick on this season because we really need a, um, we need a guy who can score 20 to 25 goals a season for us and we need him to step up. We, we didn't buy him all, pay all that money for him just to, just to score five or ten goals. We need to score more goals this season and try and get higher up the table and try and challenge Man City again like last season. So, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the big thing is challenging them and pushing them all the way. Uh, lastly, obviously, you mentioned Fabio Vieira and how well he's playing. Obviously, and, and you, you're saying that you'd probably see him starting in the, the, the first league game after the, the international break over Kai Havertz. I mean, looking at, I guess, Havertz in general, like how you, what was your view on his performance in this game? I thought, out of all the four games he played so far, I thought my night was his best game. I thought it was a better game because he, even the run for the penalty that he never, he never got, he was really, you know, and the thing with him as well, people don't understand, like, he was tracking back as well. He was tracking back a lot the other day. People don't see that part of his game. Yeah. The only thing, oh, we won't have us to score goals and all that. But he was tracking back, helping him, helping Rice. Odegaard was just like, playing more as a number 10. He was playing more like a number six. So he was just running back, Trace, track, tracking back Anthony, tracking back whoever was running on Ericsson, whoever, and winning the ball back. And he's very physical. Harvest is a very physical player as well. He, he, might, he might be the fool you think he's physical. He's very, he looks very, I've seen him on the game, he was muscling man off the ball. I'm like, huh? I never saw. I never knew he could do that. I never saw that at Chelsea. So he's got that about him. So I think I personally feel give him give him ten games and see what he can do. But sooner or later, you, might, you have to sooner or later give Ray Riviera a start because he's been playing well. Or maybe after the season, as an impact player coming off the bench in games when it's a tight game, you need someone to unlock the defense. I think you might see him as an impact sub then a starter. So yeah, see what happens. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that ten game marker. I think for me, that's kind of how I'm looking at Havertz this season. It's just kind of take it in ten game blocks and see what we what we get from him. I think watching him live, it was interesting because, the, and I said it last podcast, and and it was really bad true for me in the stadium was that a lot of his early introductions to this Arsenal team reminds me a lot of Giroud when we first signed him, in that there's things that Giroud was doing individually which the team weren't quite in tune with yet. And unfortunately for us, Giroud stopped doing them once the team got used to what he wanted to do. And Giroud used to make a lot of off-the-ball runs mm. in behind, yeah. even though Giroud was not very fast, and we know that. He used to always make these runs in behind and never the pass never came. I remember the game I actually saw him live and I was shocked that people weren't playing the ball in behind to him. Like, no, Ozil wasn't trying, uh, Santi wasn't trying, Theo wasn't trying, it was just bizarre. And then you look at Kai Havertz yesterday and there was one moment in the second half where he had just peeled off because um, Maguire had come on at that point, he peeled off Maguire and he was, there was space for him to run into and they just, Zinchenko wouldn't flip the ball in behind. And I was just like, oh, give it to him, give it to him. And then there was one time he tried that same pass, got cut out by um, by Maguire. And, and from this, oh, I think Evans had come across that, so Evans cut out, cut out the pass. And for me, I was just watching thinking, you know, you've got to keep doing that because when I used to play centre-back, I used to hate players trying to drop the ball in behind me because again, you've got to turn and run mm. and you don't want to run. Like, you want to have the ball in front, the game in front of you. The games in front of you is fine, it's comfortable. Yeah. Once you've got to start, keep running back, you start backing off instinctively because you just don't want to have to keep running. Mm. So that's the thing we need to get used to is kind of learn what he does. Same with Martinelli. They need to figure out each other's games because there were times when they would each, Martinelli would make a little run inside, Kai wouldn't play the ball into him and same vice versa. Kai would make a run inside, Martinelli wouldn't, wouldn't give it to him. So they've all got to learn each other's game. But like I said, like you said, and what I saw in the stadium, there's a few things he needs to improve on, like that chance in the first half, 
he has got to connect with that ball properly. That's one 0 That's his first Arsenal goal, and and we're comfy. And if he leaves it, and Ketia scores, so it's just a shame he missed kicks it all together. But he's trying. Even in the warm up pregame, I was watching his finishing, and you can tell he's very much a confidence player because some of the shots weren't coming off, and you could see it was kind of getting to him. So I really think I'm hoping again this time away of national team, he can just kind of get all of that out of his system. Even Berbatov came out this week and gave some comments about him, quite positive, saying he's a great player. He just needs time to kind of adapt to our system. And we have to remember, this is a guy that's come from playing under Tuchel, somewhat under Graham Potter, and of course, somewhat under Lampard. So he's got to unlearn all those things he's picked up from those coaches and understand us and what we want to do from him. So we saw positive signs of it in this game, but not enough. And it's coming. So yeah, so hopefully we'll we'll kick on again from there. I guess looking at everything from the other side of this table, we're looking at Man or the other side of the pitch rather, Manchester United. It's a bit problematic for them over there. Obviously, there's comments today or this week about Sancho, the manager talking about him not training hard enough, alluding to the fact that he might be a bit lazy, he might have some timekeeping issues. Sancho then made a statement online inst instantly saying that that's not true calling the manager a liar effectively, which is very, very interesting. How do you, what do you think about the whole situation brewing? And do you think Ten Hag has big, big problems at, at Old Trafford now? Yeah, a lot of big problems. We've got Anthony issue with his, with his ex-girlfriend. He's got, mm. he had an issue with Wayson Greenwood. Now he's got an issue with Sancho. I thought that he needs to, I thought that it was wrong to publicly say what he said about Sancho not in the squad he should have kept it in-house and kept it private maybe he tried maybe he's done so many times he's got fed up I said no, I had enough now I think the last season he sent him out for a while to this individual training so maybe he started brewing from last season maybe he'd come back and he's still not showing the right application in training or whatever or he's just maybe he just doesn't rate him as a player I don't know well you pay my United paid an awful lot of money for him so you can't be paying, and you pay an awful lot of money for Anthony as well. So you can't be paying all this big money for these players and they're not performing on the pitch or getting a minute on the pitch. So it's a bit of an issue. So Yeah, it's definitely problematic. And I, and I hope for that they can figure it out. I mean, the other thing is, you know, they spent a lot of money, not all of it him, but the club spent a lot of money over the last few years on players. And I, I look at them and I don't really feel like playing wise, I know they won a trophy last season which is great and you know that's important for you to kind of build on those things but I just don't know how much progress they've made as a club from a playing perspective and personal perspective do you think that Man United fans should be a bit worried that they are they still feel so far behind especially this season like the games they played this season the four matches they've been all over the place and it's hard to really see the return of the dominant Manchester United as a team well, the thing is when Sir Alex Ferguson was a Man United manager you know how Man United used to play. They had two wingers, two strikers, or one striker under number ten, or two strikers, one like sharing them or call together. They always played four four two. They had Beckham on the right, they had Skulls and Keen in the middle, Giggs on the left, Neville right back. Who else did they have? Ferdinand Vidic, uh, left back Dennis Irwin, whoever was in that, in that era, and and that good goalkeeper like Peter Schmeichel or Van der Sar. And they had they had an identity. They have they played attacking. Physical football, attacking football, great football to watch. If you're not a if you're as a fan to watch, as a rival fan yeah. watching the rivals, you see they play good football. But now, I don't know what kind of style of football they play. Man City play better football than them, and they they have a style. Guardiola has a good attacking style where you have the fullbacks going to midfield and all that stuff. And I feel Man United haven't got had not all the money they spent for the last couple of years. They haven't had value for money. I think the value for money on the players has been. 
they bought Pogba for a lot of money. They they lost that they lost that on him on the left on a free. They didn't get a transfer fee for him when he left again second time. Also, they they bought so many players and they haven't really fulfilled what a big club as Man United is supposed to be to do. So that's the issue there. And I don't think they can continue spending, spending, spending money to fix a problem because that's not going to help. I thought they need to come with a solution and find get the right players in that the manager wants. Get rid of the players he doesn't want, and you might have to start afresh. And, and then it's going to then it's going to be a more of a transitional period because other clubs like Newcastle, I always said to you that once Newcastle get it right and get and they're starting to get the right players in, once they start getting a couple more Champions League seasons in, they could in a couple of seasons they could definitely chance to win the league. So if if it's with Eddie Howe or whoever yeah. other manager that might upgrade from Eddie Howe, you never know. The owners might get impatient and say, "No, we want a better, bigger manager." to take us to the next level, then you'll see Man- you'll see Newcastle being one of their main rivals for Champions League and title. So my United fans need to be very careful. So yeah. I think the other thing as well is that do you think there's a possibility that Ten Hag might not survive the season? If the if the inconsistent results continue, do you think the owners might decide to change things up a bit? You never know. Could happen. But these owners, they, have, they haven't really been patient with managers. They gave Mourinho... Who's the longest-serving Who's the longest serving manager my life they had since oh, Sir Alex Ferguson? Oli, Oli got three years. It was three or four years. Oli, probably. Oli, yeah, Oli got a salsa the longest. Probably Oli. Uh, Mourinho yeah. had two seasons. So two or three seasons. I think he had three seasons with them. David Moyes only had half a season. I think it's Oli probably is the longest. Yeah, Oli on the source side the longest. So, if not him, then Jose. It's one of the two. Jose had three seasons. I think that'd be Jose actually. Jose. I don't think Oli had three. I think Oli had two in a bit. So it'd be Jose. Uh, Jose won a tri- won two trophies in his first season. Was it first or second season? I think it's his first season. He won two trophies or second season. He won two trophies. Don't. And he won the treble, the Community Shield, Europa, and League Cup. League Cup was it FA Cup. League Cup trouble, yeah. I don't know. Was it FA Cup they won? No, that was Van Gaal. Van Gaal won the FA Cup. No, it was League Cup. So it was League Cup, Community Shield and Europa League trouble. I'd have to be careful, man, because they can't continue sacking managers all the time. Like, I think the problem is, I think Heisenberg won, Ten Hagelsberg wanted certain players and never got them in, in the summer. He, won, he definitely wanted the centre-back. He definitely wanted the centre-back. They wanted Amrabat to come in earlier. He wanted Amrabat to come in in um in the start of the gen- of the summer window, not towards the end. So he wanted mm-hmm. all the players in before a certain time for pre season so he could like what Arsenal did there, this is early, he wanted that same thing as well. But I don't think they got the players he wanted and obviously the club wanted to sell sell the club. The owners wanted to sell the club and that was under the radar as well. That that was under the clouds that they wanted to sell the club and they were still struggling to find a new owner. The, the owners are struggling to sell it. So that's one of the reasons why I don't think they had a lot of money to spend as well. So, yeah. And then the owners have now come out and said it's not for sale anymore because they want, I think, 10 billion is their valuation for Maynard, which is outrageous. Fair enough. But, you know, they, w- they, wouldn't, they wouldn't offer what you wanted Orig- originally, and now you've upped your valuation. I, I just don't get it. Um, but fair, fair play to them. It's, I feel for the fans because, you know, you're going to be struggling and suffering again. You have ownership who don't get what your club values and don't invest the way they should. Yes, they put money into the club, and yes, you bought players, but you've not bought players that fit Man United's ethos. San- Sancho is not a Man United player. He doesn't remind me of any players in the past. Doesn't remind me of any players. I mean, no, he's not. 
Anthony is not a Man United winger in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't fit yeah. what you classify as a Man United player at all. And unfortunately, like I mean, the jury's out on Mason Mount because it's early days, but he doesn't really strike me as as what you would want for a Man United player, unless if. Well, I mean, we'll see. He's a good set piece taker, mm. so that's really one of the backing attributes. He's got a decent stamina, but it's it's just that next like, can he bring it all together and get that consistency? Because I don't, I think mindset wise, he's nowhere near what Beckham had as a player, and I think consistency is nowhere near there either. But if he can br- bring it together, then he might be like a baby, baby Beckham for them. Garnacho is clearly a main night winger. That makes sense. Rashford, obviously. Wow. But you look at Anthony and Sancho in comparison, and they just don't have that thing that main night players need to have. Mm. And part of that is just quality and product. And the other part of that is a level of directness and the ability to just make things happen. And, and Sancho's got the ability, but he just doesn't have the confidence to do it. I mean, I, and Anthony just doesn't have this required speed, I think, as a Man United player or directness. He's got a lot of skill, but it just isn't really useful with how he plays. So I'm concerned. Um, but it's interesting to watch and we'll see if, if they can get out of this kind of tailspin and see how it goes. Um, I guess on like a final thing, like what um, what game are you, like? would you say this past weekend was one that you, you looked at and thought that was a really good and impressive performance from a team? Newcastle Browns a good, great game to watch. Yeah, that, that, that was a big surprise result as well. I think all of us predicted that Newcastle, all of us said Newcastle were going to win in the predictions, I think, last week. And I think they... Yep. Really surprised they shocked us. So, yeah. Got that horribly wrong. And Evan Ferguson showing that he might be the next, next big, big striker in the league now. Like you know, he's he's definitely going to do really well. Nice little hat trick to run off the weekend. Back from injury, back amongst the goals, and looking every bit like that potential two hundred million pound striker that a club might have to bid next summer if they want him. Maybe even one fifty at minimum because yeah. Brighton will demand all of that for him, and rightfully so because he's worth it. Mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how that all goes um, but looking at the rest of the teams like, do you think Chelsea fans should be a bit concerned that they lost against Nottingham Forest for the first time in over over 70 odd years I think it was I think once I think once Pochettino gets get the system right I think it's a system thing right now once he gets the system right gets the players playing the, the, the style he wants them to play I think they'll be alright I feel they'll be okay but if they lose any more games between now and the next couple of weeks or a couple of months, then he could be on. The, he could be one of the first managers on the chopping board because Paul Bowley has spent over one billion pounds of best even Chelsea owner. That's more than what Brownfield spent in his first couple of years at Chelsea. First couple, first year or so at Chelsea. So he's got to be careful now because he's buying up all these players like a FIFA career mode, and <laughs> and nothing's happening. They need to they need to take a hard look at themselves and maybe the recruitment is a problem as well. They're buying up all these players, all these players from here, there, everywhere. A lot of players, like, I think Modric looks, looks very unhappy there. I don't think he's happy at Chelsea. He's always never starting match. He's always on the bench, coming on, not really bringing an impact. I think his confidence must be low as well. So, yeah, and it must be hard for him because you know he he missed so much football because of the war. In, in mm. Ukraine so like he's missed out on so much development and obviously he's come to Chelsea at a massive high price tag and they want instant impact and results and he just needs a lot of developing as a player so mm. there's going to be a long period of them just being frustrated with him because he's just not quite as developed as you might think for his age and for you know, the yeah. price tag but it's a shame and, and hopefully he can get the time to figure it out because if not it's, it's you know they'll just buy a replacement and, and they'll move him on, on. Mm. 
Simple as that. Um, obviously, there's been massive talk about a bid from Saudi Arabia for um, on the Saudi Arabian clubs for Mohamed Salah. Liverpool have turned it down. I think they're looking at bidding two hundred and fifteen million pounds. They're looking to put in a bid like that crazy amount. I don't know what's going to happen. Liverpool, personally, I, I think they shouldn't sell him. I know that money would transform the club and help them with business in January. But the problem is between now and then, what will that do for your league position? Because Liverpool right now, I think, are one of the outsiders for the title in that mm. people are not expecting it from them. I think they're going to be there and thereabouts come the end of the season. I think Absolutely. Liverpool, I think Arsenal again, obviously Man City. Um, and then one of, you know, Brighton or Newcastle will be close and then mm. start to fall off. But I think that's what it's going to look like. So Liverpool, I don't think they should let him go because he's still got a lot to offer. He's slightly coming out of his peak, but he's still a very, very good player. And uh, there's no amount of money that can replace that right now. Um, I guess on the final thing, what are you most looking forward to after the international break from the teams? Well, hopefully Arsenal can, can end their hoodoo against Everton because we haven't got a good record there for the last four seasons or five seasons. We haven't won there, so it'd be nice to beat them at, Ever- at Goodison Park. Um, I'd like to see, I'd love to see what Man United do in the next game if they can beat Brighton. I don't know. I think Brighton look too strong at the moment. Um, I hope that Newcastle can get back to winning ways again because they've lost the last two games back to back. Lost against Liverpool, lost against Brighton. So hopefully they can get back on track. Um, I'm looking forward to the Champions League. To be honest with you, I can't wait for the Champions League to start. That's going to be very interesting to see how the English teams doing the Champions League this season. I'm hoping all four, all four English clubs can get to the knockout stages at least, so can make it more. More the more English teams in the Champions League, the more better, the more easier it might be us to get to the final. Yeah, so it'd be nice. And the finals at Wembley this year, this year as well. So it'd be nice if Arsenal, if Arsenal could get to a final at least, it'd be nice to try and win that trophy. So yeah. Well, you know, you know what happens at Wembley with Arsenal. So if we get there, gonna win. <laughs> gonna win. So we'll see how it goes. I'm gonna hopefully get in, get a couple of Champions League games in this season. Um, at the Emirates and maybe a couple of away games we'll see how the weeks go but thanks everyone for listening I hope you have had enjoyed uh, the weekend's games if you're a Man United fan sorry bro is what it is could have been six it was only three um, uh, if you're a Chelsea fan you know better days hopefully are coming Poch will figure it out and for the rest of the league you know just keep on keep on winning it's the Premier League and it's exciting and you know we're all trying to stop Man City doing a four-peat so let's see what we can do This is us signing out. See you all next time. Peace.